The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome to the Ask Your Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Atik Malik, Director of Liberty Law Solicitors, and I'm here today presenting another Toolkit Show. The Toolkit Show is a one-on-one show between myself and you, the listeners. Um, there's nobody else here in the present in the studio. There's no other panelists. It's just yourself and me. I haven't done one for a while. So I thought, you know what, there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot of things happening on social media with the police and people's rights and uh, outrage happening as to the conduct of certain people. And I thought, you know what, let me just do a quick toolkit show on what are your rights and how do you deal with misconduct um, and the basics of criminal law. So this is a generic or general even uh, criminal law toolkit show that we're doing today. And it is a live show, so please feel free to comment in, call in, text in, uh, message in, whatever's easy for you. Uh, you can call in on 01582 481822. Uh, Facebook page. The tag for that is aspirefm.org. Um, and of course, you can just call in as I've already said. So that's where we are at. Toolkit show. How does it work? I mean, I have to say, with the young people out there, the biggest toolkit would have to be with their basic rights when it comes to the police and stop and search. Um, because time and time again, uh, we see cases on social media and on the news where people are being stopped by the police or being chased by the police and things go wrong. Um, and it's good to know where you stand. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a society where if you are from the black community, if you are from a minority ethnic community such as an Asian community, you are more likely to be stopped and searched than your white counterparts. It's a fact. The the um, stats say it all. Um, and therefore, simply because of your race, simply because of your religion, you are more likely to have to engage with the police even if you've done nothing wrong. And in the past, on the social media, when I've put up posts about people's rights being breached uh, by potentially misconduct taking place by the police forces or the security services, we often get people saying, well, what's wrong with that? Why does it matter if someone's being stopped and searched? I wouldn't mind if I'm being stopped and searched. I haven't done anything wrong. So unless you've got something to hide, you should be happy to be stopped and searched. And then similarly, we get we have people saying, oh, well, you who criticise the police, you are the racist ones. Um, and that doesn't really make any sense to me because I never thought the police would have a race. Police are police, aren't they? How can you be racist if you are criticising the police? But there it is. 
we get criticisms like that not and it's quite common quite common we see that on social media people saying oh don't criticize the police you're prejudiced well we're not first of all criticizing the police the police are public servants but if we see an injustice it's a fard on us to speak up just like it's a fard on us to pray just like it's a fard on us to go and hajj just like there are many other fards on us such as to give charity etc there's also a fard on us to speak up against injustice and when we speak up against injustice it's not just an injustice that affects a muslim or us or our immediate families injustice everywhere and so if we see a police officer committing an act of injustice as a good member of the community as good citizens as good muslims it is upon us to stand up to that and speak up against it because if you don't as they say it's a very famous saying bad things happen when good people do nothing let me say that one more time bad things happen when good people do nothing so if you think you're a good person then don't do nothing do something and don't be afraid to speak up about it and it doesn't matter if your cousin your brother or somebody's in the police force that's irrelevant what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and similarly there are many people in the police force that do very good work and i know many police officers of caliber people who have actually gone out of the way to help people so it's not all bad but unfortunately like it or not it is an institution which is ridic- riddled with different prejudices and often the victims of that those prejudices are the members of the public and in particular members of the public from bame backgrounds and the word bame stands for black asian minority ethnic and and that's a reality and as many of our listeners belong to a bame background it makes sense that we should have a toolkit in place we should know our rights and we should be ready uh, to engage and know where we stand uh, when it comes down to uh, standing for our rights now as you can see i'm on the phone i'm just holding it up and the reason i'm on the phone isn't because i am messaging my family or friends it's simply to show you um, that facebook is live we are live on facebook live you can you're more than welcome to tune in i want to share it now onto my um uh facebook page too and uh, to say come on guys tune in and live and ask your questions yeah it's a toolkit show and that's what it's about okay so let's start from the beginning where does it all start from it starts from one of you just minding your own business going down the street and suddenly you see some blue lights the police come up let's say let's mix it up a bit let's say you're with your friends and you know the police rock up blue lights flashing they get out and say oh you what's your name now sure they're probably nicer than that but this is for an example to say that um what do you do how do you respond what happens next now under pace the police and criminal evidence act there are certain powers that give allow the police to arrest people most importantly those powers are contained within a section of pace called code g code g sets out a list and list of necessity and what that means is that 
in order for a police officer to arrest someone, the officer has to deem it necessary. And it's deemed necessary if one of the reasons that are set out in code G of PACE exists at that time. So for example, if the police officer genuinely suspects that someone's committed an offence, that could trigger an arrest. But not necessarily. Simply because a police officer suspects someone's committed an offence, what that means is the police officer is bound to investigate it. Um, there's a separate legislation called the Criminal Investigation and Procedures Act. Or the Criminal Procedures and Investigations Act, actually. Um, we set out all the rules, or code even, that investigators are required to follow criminal investigators, and that includes the police officers. And part of that is they have to explore all avenues, they have to interview relevant people, take statements, secure evidence. It's that securing evidence part which can trigger an arrest. So if the police officer stopped you because they suspect that you've committed an offence, um, it can give them the power to use the power of arrest to seize evidence if it's necessary. So when does it become necessary? If there's something happening which means that unless they arrest you, they cannot get the evidence. Or it's necessary for the purpose of safeguarding someone, including yourself. So for example, if the police said, I suspect you've committed an offence and I want to interview you. And your response is, yeah, that's fine, I'm happy to be interviewed, give me a time and day. And there's no necessity for the interview to be done straight away, or even if it is, you're agreeable to doing it. When a question arises, well, why would it be necessary in those circumstances to still arrest the person to be interviewed? If the person's happy to be uh, interviewed voluntarily, happy to come along to the police station, why is it necessary? An officer might say it's necessary because we need to secure evidence. Next question is what evidence? That if it's the person's account an interview, well, they've already agreed to participate. The arrest will not speed that up. If it's about mobile telephones or other devices, well, if the person's happy to surrender it straight away, then do you need to arrest them? Sometimes bail conditions. They wish to impose certain bail conditions to stop an offence from happening. Even then, it really does depend on the offence. Because the law on bail has changed. And I'm sure many of you must have heard about this or come across it, some of you. But there's a new thing now called release under investigation. We call it RUI. What does that mean, RUI? Well, it's a new concept. And the reason it's come about is this. Historically, people were getting arrested and getting bailed. When they were getting bailed, they had bail conditions attached, such as not to contact prosecution witnesses, not to go to a certain area, to stay at home during certain hours, or sleep, live and sleep at their home address, etc. And in order to ensure, um, sorry, in order to ensure that the investigation was moving along at a good pace, the bail date would normally be for six to eight weeks between each other, sometimes two or four weeks. If, well, generally longer and then by the next bail date the police was supposed to have a decision for you of what's happening and the way the police investigation works is that the police officer only investigates the case the police officer doesn't make the decision 
When they finish investigating the case, they give the file to their lawyers called the Crown Prosecution Service, also known as CPS. And the CPS lawyer then looks at the file and decides whether to charge, whether it should be case dropped, which we call NFA, no further action, or whether it should be a further bail uh, given so that further investigations can be conducted on certain parts of the case. Um, what was happening though, there was a lot of complaints that people were being bailed for very, very long periods with no explanations being given, which were give, which was creating uncertainty for the people on bail, but more importantly from the government's point of view, it was costing them a lot of money, where cases were stuck in the system for longer than they should be, bail was going on and on and on. And there have been many cases, which we've dealt with as well, where people were on bail for 18 months, 2 years, continuously. Continuously having restrictions on their liberty, not being able to travel, not being able to go to certain areas, not being able to not stay at their house for a certain period, etc. And so the government introduced a change, and the change was this, that initially bail could only be for 28 days unless there was a very good reason, such as an ongoing investigation or CPS advice was being sought but it hadn't been done yet, unless there's a good reason otherwise, um, the initial uh, bail uh, position would be 28 days. There is another provision of three months for certain exclusive offences or for more serious type. Um, however, we generically, generally speaking, 28 days uh, is the main main rule that most cases fall into. So what's happening now then is police are thinking, well, rather than, uh, I'm not, there's no point in me bailing for 28 days. Because I'm not going to get the work done in 28 days. And if I bail for 28 days, all that's going to happen is I'm going to get in trouble. Because when 28 days comes around and I haven't done the work, then somebody's going to ask me, well, why do you wish to bail further? I'm not going to be able to give a justification and all that's going to happen is I'm probably going to get into trouble. It's just too much hassle. So rather than to do that, people are being released under investigation. And the effect of that is that there's no bail date. So whereas previously there was a bail date the police had to work towards, there's no longer that date. And many cases are being released under investigation. And a lot of commentators are saying that's had a massive impact on the amount of cases that are actually going through the system. Because someone uh, a few months ago posted a picture of one of the really busy magistrates' courts in London. And they posted two pictures, one from a few months ago and one circa a year prior to a time before the new rules kicked in. And what, what we saw was on, a year or so ago under the old rules the magistrate's court was extremely busy and extremely full. Now, a lot less busy, a lot less full. And so, surely that must be a big saving for the government in terms of money, if less people are being processed and going through the system. However, we don't hear about that. We see legal aid being cut, you know, resources being taken away, but we don't hear about the savings that have been made by systems like this. And then, the other issue is we, as, as solicitors, we have a lot of clients who have been released under investigation and they're panicking and they come back to us and say, well, what happens next? What's going to happen now? The answer is nothing. You're not, on, you're not charged. You're not on bail. You've been released under investigation, which means investigation ongoing, which we can't really do anything about because it's up to the police if they want to investigate something or not. 
there's no restraints on your liberty or anything like that that need to be addressed. So unfortunately, like it or not, the uncertainty of being on bail, or sorry, if I rephrase that, the uncertainty of being investigated, which used to coincide with being on bail, no longer exists because of bail, but it still exists on its own, because until you get a letter from the post confirming that there's no further action, you remain under investigation. And then the person who's under suspicion is a bit of a difficult conundrum, because they have to decide, is it better for me to just stay off the radar and let it carry on like this in the hope that nothing ever comes back, which can happen, believe it or not, unfortunately, because the way the system is, everyone's stretched, the police force, has, you know, their numbers cut, um, you know, cases sometimes do slip through the system. Or is it a case of I need closure or because of my job situation or my travel situation or my academic situation, I need confirmation uh, that the case is actually closed and finished and there's no standing pending investigation but if i go back and stop prodding and poking am i going to make things worse and create a case against me which might otherwise have disappeared so it it creates a real conundrum for people and a lot lot higher level of uncertainty because under this system it can go on for longer now i am aware that apparently the police have their own internal system you know the uh, sort of monitor performance of officers to check um, and see how long a case is still live for, what cases are outstanding, etc. But those sorts of checks and balances are not going to be the same, I say, as when you know as a third party, such as the Crown Prosecution Service, are waiting for you to give the file to them. And you've got a bail date that you're working towards, which if you don't comply with, is more likely to cause a greater outrage than having no date to work towards. You, it's difficult for a solicitor to put the same sort of pressure on, as opposed to if someone's on bail, their, their liberty is restricted, and the solicitor can say, well, look, this is completely unfair. My client's suffering here, cannot travel or cannot go to a certain area, cannot see certain people because of your bail conditions. So... It has changed uh, things quite a lot, and, and, and that's where we are. So, even under that position, the reason that comes back to stops and searches is if you are simply going to interview someone and release them under investigation, not even going to put them on bail or give bail conditions, then again, that affects the necessity of the arrest, doesn't it? If, if, if Why do you need to then arrest somebody if all you're going to do is release under investigation? And believe it or not, finally, a lot of police forces, police forces have seen sense. We've seen a dramatic increase in the number of um, police forces that now are happy for people to come in by appointment to be interviewed um, and released straight away. And that is a very positive step because, number one, from the angle of the person being interviewed, you no longer have to worry about, oh man, am I going to be stuck in the police station for a few hours? How long will it be before I get out? Quite simply because you know you're only going in there to be interviewed. You're not having your fingerprints taken, photograph taken, DNA taken. Um, you can simply go in, be interviewed and be released. Now in certain cases, um, the police can insist, and there's a different section of pace that allows this, for you to give your fingerprints, photograph or DNA um, 
even though you're not under arrest. And if you are approached with that and you refuse, the police do then have a power of arrest just for that purpose, to allow them to take those samples. But generally speaking, unless the police raise that, quite often if you go in for a voluntary interview, you can walk away without having to give any of those samples. That not only saves a lot of time for you, the person who's being interviewed, but it saves a lot of time for um, the police, which means a lot of money being saved, a lot of costs being saved, a lot of, uh, and it saves money from the public purse, which is what the government wants. So, again, this is another avenue where we can see the government has made a huge saving, where the police are now much more than before, maybe not in every case, but more so than before, are not arresting people and rather doing voluntary interviews under caution. And again, my question then is, why is this not being talked about and reflected? The government, if it is making such savings uh, in these quarters, they should be reflected by reinvesting money into the criminal justice system, which really is at this stage bursting at its seams. We need you know, more funding for the court system, for the solicitor system, for the barrister system. There are people out there who can't even get lawyers anymore because they can't get legal aid. And if they do get legal aid, there are certain areas of law where solicitors or barristers refuse to do the work because the legal aid does not pay enough. And it's creating a situation now where there's a real issue of access to justice. What we don't want, what the English legal system is renowned for in the world is how, whether you're rich or you're poor, you will have access to a lawyer and have access, and therefore have access to justice. However, if this changes and the only people who can have lawyers are those who are rich enough and that people, the poor people of our society do not have lawyers because they cannot afford it and legal aid does not cover it or even if it does, nobody is willing to work on legal aid rates, then we can have a serious problem arising. And this is something that really does need to be tackled. We do need more investment in the criminal justice system um, to ensure that access to justice is not denied. Now, going back to the uh, power of arrest, then, if all of these situations exist and you are on the street, as I started, as I mentioned at the start, and you are stopped by the police and they ask you who you are, do you have to give your name and details? That's the question. Not necessarily, no. There is a power of arrest where a person can be arrested to ascertain their details, such as their ID. But that doesn't automatically happen. There has to be grounds for that. And so in the second part of the show, we're going to explore in more detail what are the grounds, in what situation do you or don't you have to give your details, your name and address? In what situation do you have to comply with the police? And what situation do you not? And what don't you have to comply with? What can you get away with saying, well, I'm sorry, unless you can show me X, Y or Z, I'm not going to do it. Now, listen, this is a live show. We haven't had any calls in. And fortunately, this often seems to be the case with toolkit shows. Please don't feel intimidated. If you have any questions on criminal law or even employment law, even though it's not employment law uh, show, um, feel free to call in. I'll do my best to assist and answer those questions. This is a live show. This is your show. 01582 481822. 01582 481822. But unfortunately, we're at the end of the first part of the show. I'll see you guys on the other side. Asalaamu Alaikum.
You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Uh, Atik Malik, Liberty Law Solicitors, presenting the Ask Your Lawyer Toolkit show again today. It's a live show. 01582 481822 by the police, we have to engage with the police, just to give a general overview of criminal law. We covered quite a lot in the first part of the show. We covered voluntary interviews and the benefit of that. We covered the new bail rule, uh, rules and laws, etc., and how it works and what release under investigation means. We've also covered um, just the basics, really, of how you might end up in a situation with the police and why. And some of the general commentary that we hear on social media such as, well, if you've done nothing wrong, why does it matter? I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, such a narrative is just so silly, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to sit on a couch, sit back and say, oh, well, you know, if you haven't done anything wrong, you've got nothing to worry about. I, don't mi- I wouldn't mind being stopped. Yeah, right. You know, you just people on the streets, they don't even want to give people away when they're driving. And you're telling me those same people wouldn't mind... The police stopping them on a daily basis to speak to them. These people, and this is generally people who are always in a hurry to get from A to B, would not mind being stopped and delayed for 20 minutes while someone speaks to them. That's complete and utter rubbish, isn't it? You know, anybody out there who says, oh, you know, if you've got nothing to hide, it doesn't really matter. It's just it's silly, isn't it? It doesn't make any sense at all. Yes, one-off here or one-off there, even then people get irritated. I've yet to speak to anybody who thought it was absolutely no problem, that they were not in, intimidated at least a little bit or inconvenienced at least a little bit where they had to stop and speak to the police. And it's not because they don't want to help the police, it's because everyone's busy, everyone's got their own issues, their own lives going on, and unless they see it as a necessity where they have to, people are not going to be happy with being stopped, are they? And then to be searched as well, it's not something that anyone expects, do they? To see have a third party, a stranger rummaging around in their clothes, unless it's for a good reason. And the government recognises that, or has recognised that in the past, and has put in certain safeguards. One of the safeguards is that is of the requirement to have a reasonable suspicion, and that's what it comes down to at the moment. That is that there is a reasonable suspicion of an offence having been committed that you may have been involved in, and that's why the stop is happening. That's why the questions are being asked. That's why a search is necessary. Now, let's look at that for a second. If you are stopped, as I said in the first part of the show, when the police officer comes up to you and says, or you, I want to speak to you, um, well, unless you're suspected of having done done something, there's no need for you to stop, is there? There's no need for you to speak to the officer. You can actually say to them, do you suspect me of anything? If the answer is no, 
There's no legal duty on you to speak to the police. I mean, even if you're suspected of an offence and you're arrested, there is still no actual legal duty for you to speak to the police. Um, It's simply a case of you can go no comment in an interview or you can meet with that person um, and decide to leave if it's a voluntary interview. But nobody can force you to speak to somebody. Um, it just doesn't exist. It is, you, know, you have the power not to speak. You have the power to remain silent. You have the power to leave unless you're under arrest. So, unless there is a suspicion of something, you don't have to answer anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to do anything. But unfortunately, that seems to be changing. Because one of the proposals that has been put is that the requirement for reasonable suspicion should be taken away. And a lot of commentators, including myself, are extremely worried about that. Because even with that safeguard of reasonable suspicion, we still see stats where young black males, and then after that, Asian males and other people from BB backgrounds are stopped at a very high rate. So the question is that if that reasonable suspicion requirement is removed, what are we going to see next? Police officers at that stage won't even have to justify their actions the same way anymore. We don't have to justify why they're stopping someone. So if they stop somebody because they simply they feel like it and not because there's actually any good reason to do so, how do you challenge it? If the requirement for reasonable suspicion no longer exists, how do you challenge it? And we have found the same issue arising in Schedule 7 interviews. Because in Schedule 7 interviews, um, we have had issues where people have come to us and said, look, I think I'll stop at the airport and interview under Schedule 7 of the Terrorism Act because of my race, because of my religion. So when we've gone back to try and address that and say to the police, well, you know, we think that you've discriminated against these people, the answer has been, oh, no, we haven't. We only stopped them to investigate an offence. Yes, but what was the underlying reason? And because of this difficulty, because there's no need for them to show suspicion, they don't even have to answer that. They can just say, well, we didn't have to suspect because that's not part of the requirement. We just wanted to stop them. And it creates a very vicious and difficult circle um, where the police are then able to get away with stopping people, interviewing people, detaining people, where otherwise they may not have been able to. So in my personal opinion... It's a very important safeguard which we are now at risk of losing and I think it's going to create a lot of issues going forward. Now there's a lot of people that say well we need to increase stop and search to battle knife crime. Please, please, please tell me where are the stats that show stop and search affects knife crime? How does that reduce knife crime? It doesn't work. There are no statistics that show a correlation of that. Nobody accepts knife crime. We all think it's a disease to society. In my personal opinion, the only people who carry knives are cowards. But the point is this, that what are the underlying root causes of knife crime? If you look around the world, international studies have been conducted on this. And what everybody agrees is that one of the underlying, if not V, if not one, one of the main reasons that causes knife crime is poverty. Poverty is the reason for it. Poverty is the reason for a large majority of many different types of crime. So why don't we focus on that? Why do we not focus on tackling poverty? What is causing issues in England? Poverty has led to austerity. Austerity are mechanisms implemented by the government 
which leads to cuts, cuts in public funding, cuts in social services, in police, in other resources that would otherwise help and support families suffering from poverty. The police are not there to deal with the causes of crime. They are there to deal with the symptoms of crime. The police normally are trained to get involved when a crime has happened or about to happen. So it's quite a bit towards the end of the journey. What we need is resolution at the grassroots level, where families who might be struggling for whatever reason, children who have nothing better to do are given something to do, such as youth clubs, where people who are having problems getting jobs are assisted to get jobs, where people who are relying on food banks do not have to rely on food banks any longer. These are the main issues that need to be addressed. Not creating a police state where people are monitored for everything, where the way people think fought becomes crime. Just like in the film Minority Report, we have now have fought crime. We cannot have a situation like that. The rule of law is absolutely imperative and important. Things have to work on evidence, evidence-based movement, evidence-based analysis, evidence-based action. We cannot have a situation where people are penalised and scrutinised merely on because of suspicion. But even now, with this new change that is coming, we go beyond that. We go to the stage where people are scrutinised without the need to even be suspected of an offence. And that, I would say, is a very dangerous place to be. We've already seen the situation with Schedule 7 interviews, and a lot of campaigners, activists, myself included, raised issue about this at the time, saying that this is not a concept that should be allowed to carry on. But because not enough people raised their voices, not enough challenges were brought, not only has the Schedule 7 um, system without a backstop of reasonable suspicion allowed to continue and carries on, we now see it being rolled out to other areas of law. And this is what happens when legislation, questionable legislation comes in. If we do not challenge it, not only will it continue to exist and continue to act in an unfair and detrimental manner to society as a whole, as well as certain pockets of society, but then it empowers and gives credibility to that process and allows it to be rolled out into other areas, which is what we are seeing now. So I would say, please be very, very careful. Now, as far as the police are concerned... At end of the day, you know, we have to appreciate they're trying to do a job too. And so sometimes it's just easier for everybody, isn't it? You know, if you ask a police officer nicely, well, officer, why are you stopping me? Do you suspect I've done anything wrong? You know, if so, what is it? What do you suspect me of? Why are you speaking to me? And if you ask those questions nicely, you tend to find that most police officers will understand that and maybe even deal with you a little differently. And if they don't, and they're acting incorrectly, make sure you capture their contact details, their caller number, their card registration number, anything that you can, so you can bring a formal complaint against them later on. And of course, often this question is asked is, can I film the police? Of course you can. The reason you can film the police is because they are not private citizens. They are public servants. The word public servant is exactly what it means they are the servants of the public so if you are a member of the public which i'm sure most of you listeners out there are every single police officer is your servant 
They are not your masters. You are their masters. They, you pay their wages. You are the taxpayer. They are your servants. And so if your servant is not working properly, you have every right to report that, to uh, record that, to check that. You are under... You have the right to do your own checks and balances if you feel that your rights have been contravened. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to shy away about that. And so, you know, if you go through all of these stages and just make sure that if you do feel that something is wrong, that that action is captured. And I suppose while social media is a very dangerous place, we've seen some very interesting footage, haven't we, over the last few years coming out. Footage that personally back in the 80s or 90s you might never have known about or seen which if you had brought a complaint against the police about such conduct you would have been at risk of not being believed but now with people recording uh, misconduct happening some of the behavior that is being caught is extremely shocking extremely shocking we know we have had situations where many situations where covert recordings or well, the police themselves, a lot of police cars, have their own recording audio and visual equipment. Believe it or not, sometimes police officers forget this. Sometimes police officers act as if they are in a safe place, not being monitored, but they are. We've had cases where once we brought a complaint, it's come to light that the car the police were in had its own audio-visual recording and captured the police officer speaking. And on further analysis, it was discovered that some of the comments they were making were unpleasant and even unlawful. So there is a lot of recording devices nowadays that need to be secured and captured if you are going to make a complaint. And that also includes the custody area in a police station. The custody area in a police station, uh, for the last few years now, everywhere in the country, they all have CCTV, and uh, which records audio and visual. So everything that's being said is being recorded, everything that is happening is being recorded. And therefore, if you feel that your rights have been breached and you put a complaint in, please ensure that one of your requests is to promptly ask for not only uh, your custody record, if you have been arrested, a record of your custody is made by the custody sergeant. Not only do you have to make sure that your custody record is secured, kept safe and not destroyed in any way, but that also the CCTV recording from the custody area is secured. So that you have some independent, unquestionable evidence of exactly what happened. And it's very, very important. Also in the custody area, the cells themselves nowadays, I'm not sure if they've got audio recording, but most definitely a lot of them have visual recording also. So there's a lot of areas um, in and around the police station, um, there's the police cars themselves, and not to mention the police officers. Uh, police officers nowadays have a cam on their body, so whilst you might be recording them, they are also recording you. And this should be kept in mind. Quite often we get cases where we study the body cam, of the police officer and it shows some very interesting stuff we've had clients and i'll be quite frank clients saying to us oh, i didn't do anything wrong it was all a big mistake and then we've seen the body cam footage and it was quite shocking you know some of our own clients you know the way they've conducted themselves is shocking to say the least and it should be borne in mind that 
everything, everything nowadays is being recorded by everybody. You can record them, they can record you, and more than likely you are being recorded. If you're standing on the street, there's probably town centre CCTV recording you. If you're talking to a police officer, you've got their body cam recording you. If you're standing near their car, you've got their car recording you. Um, and there might be members of the public recording what's going on, or your own friends or family, or yourself. So, the need in the modern day of conducting yourself properly is even more important, isn't it? Because if you are being recorded and you are seen as being aggressive, loud, animated with your arms, etc., and then later on you try and bring a complaint that the police were not justified in the way they were treating you, it may not stand. You know, your complaints may not have the strength that it would otherwise have if... One was to look at that footage and see you as really calm, coherent, polite, not panicked, not irate. That really is the way forward. So we need to look at ourselves as well. Look at how do we conduct ourselves. And as I said, sometimes when you're angry and agitated and you're saying something, and then you say the same thing, but in a calm, collective and coherent manner, you will find that your responses that you receive from the other side are completely different. Sometimes what we see is a complete cross-wires where the police have stopped somebody, they're saying one thing and the person who's been stopped is saying something completely different. They're on two completely different wavelengths and speaking two different languages effectively to each other where neither can understand each other. And instead of diffusing a situation, it just gets worse, people get arrested and before you know it, there's criminal offences being committed and it escalates very quickly. And so we have to, as I said, be very alert and alive to the fact that everything, whether we know it or not, is potentially being recorded. And so we have to conduct ourselves in the right manner, particularly because we are from BAME backgrounds, black, Asian, minority, ethnic. And being from a BAME background, like it or not, whether people want to hear it or not, being from a BAME background increases your chances of being stopped and searched by police and therefore, by extension, I would say, increases your chances of being subject to a criminal investigation. And we hear um, stories all the time of how sometimes, even in the courts, comparative people get higher sentences simply because of the race, ethnic origin or religion. We hear it all the time. And so again, this shows that our community is a community at risk. And if you're at risk, you have to be fully armed with the right toolkit. You need to know what your rights are. You need to know how to conduct yourself. Because if you don't, and you're from a high-risk community, then you're asking for trouble, aren't you? And unfortunately, especially for the younger members of our community, it's even more important. The majority of people um, that are arrested and go through the system are between the ages of 15 to 25. Now, out of 15 to 25, the ages of 15 to 18 are categorised as youths. So those speech marks, criminals, close speech marks, um, still get some support because of the fact they are youths. But what happens to the 18 to 25-year-olds who are not suffering from mental health and are not um, having any sort of drug or alcohol abuse? There's a whole category of young people out there aged between 18 to 25-year-olds who are not 
dependent on alcohol or drugs, do not have mental health issues, but are still very much at risk of the criminal justice system because of their age, because of the way they live their lives, because of um, their friends that they are with, because of their race, because of their religion. Uh, these sort of background issues also play a part. So, you know, we have to be wary of painting everyone with the same brush and saying, oh, all these sorts of people are criminals. Well, not not, not really. And if there is a di- dynamic of people being involved with criminality, we need to look at the root causes rather than paint with the same brush. Is it an economic issue? Is it a socio-economic context to this? Um, is it, you know, why are certain pockets of people acting in a certain way? And, you know, the way I see it is this. If the root cause is due to poverty and austerity, then the root people to blame are not the communities, but the people responsible for poverty and austerity, and that would have to be the government. But yet, time and time again, when these issues are looked at, it's not the government that takes the blame, but communities are scapegoated. You know, we have people making documentaries on knife crime in the black community, drug dealing in the Asian community, I mean, I won't mention which organisation it was. I was recently approached by a national um, uh, media organisation to be involved in a documentary, and they asked me, um, and they said, yeah, we want to do a documentary on uh, crime in the black community and crime in the Asian community. What do you think? And on my answer was, well, it's a bit fantastic because you're just playing right into the far-right narrative, the racist narrative that crime is linked to ethnicity when it's actually linked to poverty. They're two completely different things. The fact that in a certain town or a certain city, more uh, people from BME communities are involved in crime is not due to their race or religion. It's due to the socio-economic context of where they're living and whether they are living in poverty or not. Because if you then go to any other city with different dynamics, you will still see people committing knife crime. You will still see people dealing drugs. But the colour uh, uh, and ethnicity and religion changes on the on the place that you're dealing with. If you, you are you saying that if you went to a place where there are no Asian or black people, you would have no crime? That's absolutely ridiculous. If you're saying that there was no crime in England before black or Asian people came here, again, that's absolutely ridiculous. And one of the examples that I gave to a documentary makers was the Peaky Blinders. I said to them, have you heard of the Peaky Blinders? They're like, yeah, we have. I said, well, they weren't black, were they? They were Asian. You know, when did they exist? Where did they exist? And what were they doing? And it just blew them out of the water. They had no answer to that. Then I give another example. What about the craze? They're from London. They weren't black or Asian. What were they doing? What's your, if you're, what you're saying is right, that it's communities to be blamed because of black people are like this or Asian people are like that, then why is it historically we've always had organised crime in England? We've had um, drug dealers. We've had knife crime. It, it is not linked to communities. It is linked to the socio-economic context. And we need to uh, be alive to that. And the reason we need to be alive to that is that we cannot accept blame for others' failures. Our communities have progressed a lot you know, when our parents have come here and built this country when it's on its knees, um, we are here by entitlement. We're not here by favour. We've worked hard. Our communities are hard working, contribute to the society, pay their taxes. 
and then when they fail to provide for us, fail to provide access to justice, to social services, to basic amenities, then when people commit crimes, they blame it on us as well. It doesn't work like that. So we, we have got nothing to apologise for. Yes, there are issues, but these issues are not unique to our, just our communities. They're across the board. Wherever in the world you see poverty spikes, you will see issues with crime. So do not feel ashamed because of your race or culture or religion, because there's nothing to be ashamed about. In actual fact, we should be celebrating diversity because it's diversity that makes England what it is. You know, England's national dish was the vindaloo for many years. A lot of English culture, British culture is made up of the cultures and treasures of the world. Um, and so I would say multiculturalism and diversity is a key part of the basic basics of British values in the British system and so we are as much as part of the British system as anybody else if not more and therefore I would say that there's nothing at all to be ashamed of or to be apprehensive about and so listeners this brings us to the end of our show um, we're going to have the Ramadan specials coming up over the next few weeks so we're in the process of building up some nice quality shows for you with hot topics and debates so inshallah I'll see you uh, or hear from you uh, during Ramadan. Wishing everyone Ramadan Mubarak in advance, um, and I hope everyone really enjoys their time as they go through that blessed month and enjoys the shows that we are going to have lined up for you. Uh, and as I've always said, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future shows, uh, feel free to contact us directly here at the studio or even myself directly at Liberty Law Solicitors, uh, where I'm based. But in the meantime, look after yourselves. Always a pleasure. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.